April. I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for the download. And more importantly, I hope you're doing well. Uh, depending on where you are, it's been a few weeks since our usual day-to-day has been halted by the coronavirus. Uh, you're aware of the changes that have been made with us, around us, and really hope that you're keeping safe and your family as well also. On today's episode, Tom Brady has a new home. He'll suit up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, is it a surprise that he is not going back to New England? Uh, What does this do for his legacy? We'll talk about that. As well, uh, today marks the two-year remembrance of the tragedy involving the Humboldt Broncos. Uh, We'll talk uh, about our thoughts uh, to that uh, horrible event involving uh, the team, as well as some news... uh, involving one of the players who was involved in that crash. And of course, uh, talk about the uh, current coronavirus pandemic and how it relates to the sports world. So I'm a part of a fantasy hockey league. It's a keeper league and it was made by a friend and it has all the parameters. It has a trade deadline. It has a salary cap. There's an entry draft as well as an AGM. Uh, which my wife does find quite humorous. But uh, a couple of months ago, I extended an invite to the other GMs, hoping to do an NHL playoff preview show. Of course, COVID-19 has thrown everything out the door. But there's still, obviously, a number of things to talk about involving the world of sports. And I'm really excited to be joined by two of my fellow adversaries, shall we say. Now, my team is the Battalion in honor of my Branton heritage. And I have uh, such players like Sidney Crosby, uh, Carey Price, Anse Kopitar. And I do have uh, the distinction of being one of the worst teams since I joined that league about five years ago. Uh, With me is uh, the general manager representing the Fury. His star players include uh, Patrick Laine, Tevo Teravainen, as well as Tuka Rask. Chris Karabs joins me. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome, Randy. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. As well, representing the Griffins, uh, one of the uh, former champions of uh, said hockey league. His big gunners include Kyle Connor, Braden Point, Pekka Rene, as well as Jonathan Click, uh, Jonathan Quick. Excuse me. Rob Iacobucci joins me. Rob, what's going on? Pretty well. Thank you for having me, Randy. Oh no! That, again, thank you so much, guys. Uh, really uh, looking forward to this. So we do have an interesting dynamic between the three of us. Uh, Chris and I are roughly the same age. However, Chris has uh, kids. I, for one, do not. Rob is uh, a younger guy. He's in his mid-20s, just graduated from university a couple years ago, and really looking forward to hearing about the perspectives of uh, the three of us in our different phases uh, in our lives. So guys, it's uh, it's been roughly three weeks since North America took uh, public measures with regards to coronavirus. yeah, uh, Toronto, uh, you know, if you look back at uh, the events that took place uh, with regards to what has uh, happened, uh, you know, a Toronto man was who was recently in Wuhan, China, was believed to be the epicenter of uh, this pandemic. Uh, he uh, was the first case 
reported on the 25th of January. First death uh, was in Canada. Uh, that was in Canada, excuse me, took place in BC on the 9th of March. And of course, pro leagues have shut down since uh, the 11th. Chris, uh, I wanted to throw it to you first. And with regards to a sports perspective, one of the first events that was canceled was the uh, Women's World Hockey Championships. It was supposed to take place in Nova Scotia at the end of March. And on March 7th, it, uh, they, uh, they decided to, to call it off. Uh, what was your thoughts in terms of that? Uh, did you think they made the right decision? I mean, if you, if you could uh, bring yourself back to three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, you know, I know hindsight is what it is, but did you think that it was the right decision that was made? honest as soon as i heard that news uh, a lot of times we talk about you know trying to get to that level where you have equality in, in a sport like hockey because i think you know different levels we've talked about in past with the pro leagues involving the women's hockey you know there has been quite a difference and you know they've been fighting to try to to get to that point where they can make a living playing hockey so i think the Women's World Hockey Championships means everything to a lot of the players. And the first time I heard that news, you know, I didn't take it like, oh, they're canceling it because there's this pandemic or something's happening. Is a lot of people that were broadcasters like, of course, they're going to cancel this first before they would cancel a National Hockey League, etc. So that was the first approach that I took to it. And truthfully, I kind of thought the exact same way. Now, obviously, uh, we were both wrong in that uh, sentiment that uh, this uh, pandemic uh, turned into something that none of us have really seen. And I thought it was uh, a clear uh, ex- uh, to make an example of uh, an, an event that wasn't the same uh, magnitude of a uh, men's world hockey championships or uh, a men's World Cup of Soccer and so on. However, obviously, and uh, for the uh, for the correct reasons, uh, the uh, Women's World Hockey Championships, as mentioned, uh, scheduled for Nova Scotia, uh, well, it was supposed to start on the thirty first, was was canceled. So, Chris, uh, I know that uh, you and uh, I uh, can uh, vividly recall the events that took place on September eleventh, and as this was going on, especially in its uh, immediate uh, immediate days. I, I was reminded of uh, how the sports world uh, paused uh, in the days uh, immediately after 9-11. Rob, I'd love to get your perspective because, as mentioned, you were uh, a young child uh, in 2001. Uh, can you recall the days after 9-11 and do you remember uh, the uh, how the world stopped? Yeah, so I've been trying to sort of with myself establish some kind of reference point because this is all so new in terms of, you know, seeing how the sports world's come to a stop. For reference, when 9-11 happened, I was in grade two. So that was quite a while ago. And I mean, at that point in my life, I wasn't even that much of a sports fan yet. So like in terms of maybe a tying memory to sports, like I remember like it was still before the hockey season would have started. And like back then, that's kind of all I was watching in terms of sports. So that it wasn't really that heavily impacted but it, it's kind of hard to get that reference point to back then like you know you, you remember how much the world has changed no matter how old you are like if, if you're a teenager if you were a child if you were an adult it, it changed everything for everyone but I think what's so different now is that access to information and you know everyone 
has such easy access to the internet and it doesn't really um it, it's hard to reference something so similar to this and, and the, the magnitude of a lot of what's been going on so kind of hard to maybe bring back some memories per se but you can kind of remember the impact of it and it, 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 there really isn't a lot to reference in comparison since then well and uh you know you can't really compare uh now looking back obviously you can't compare uh, what has taken place uh, in today versus what took place uh, in 2001. I mean, having said that, obviously the airline industry went through a complete overhaul in terms of uh, its uh, its operations and so on. Uh, a question to anybody, whoever wants to uh, take it uh, first, and uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, new terms that are out there, social distancing, uh, and uh, with regards to uh, washing your hands more thoroughly and uh, everything like that. Uh, do you see, I guess, initiatives and uh, what people are doing these days? Do you see it kind of lasting uh, after this pandemic is done? I think uh, as a community, as a population, you know, when we look at these measures that are being taken, I was just thinking back myself, you know, we're sitting at, you know, if you're not able to go into work, uh, be an educator, you know, I'm at home with my wife and my kids, and you see all these measures that are being, being taken place, and you would just assume that, like, be a natural thing, you know, as a parent even with your kids, to actually establish these measures. But I'm just looking at this experience, something positive will come out of this experience where, you know, whether it be we things that we take for granted or things that are so simple as, you know, when you remind your child that they need to wash their hands before they eat, you know, wash them thoroughly with soap, you know, you brush your teeth at night. Those things that are routine or seem to be routine may not actually be as routine as we think they are because maybe not everybody is following that sort of procedure. And I think out of this whole situation, we're hoping that everybody's going to look at things in a different light and maybe take something positive out of it and it's going to become a new world that's going to probably be a better world to be in. Yeah, if I could uh, sort of uh, add on to that, the, the idea of what's normal is always up to interpretation, and so many things we used to do we wouldn't really even think too much about. Like, I could remember, like, all the times I've been in, like, crowds at concerts or even at sporting events, and things that were maybe I had different concerns of, you know, like, what if, you know, something gets violent or something. That Maybe that was front of center opposed to, you know, what if there's something that could be spread are sort of maybe things that were front of center in our heads has completely changed. Uh, not going to say there's going to be like a whole new generation of people who might be sort of germaphobes, but, you know, our, our idea of normal is being flipped on its head, and a lot of people were accustomed to what used to be normal, and a lot of that probably isn't coming back. So it, I'd be really curious to see, you know, where that translates in regular life and in the sports world too, because, you know, sporting events – are just characterized by you know how busy they are, or maybe they have like the kind of environment you have there, and how long that might take to get back, or if it comes back in a different shape, is really something that I'm curious to see you know evolve over the next couple of years. But just that idea of what's normal and what's not is kind of uh, I think is is definitely on its is changing for sure. Well, I mean, uh, you know, you take a look at uh, maybe uh, new measures to uh, keep clean and, uh, you know, at the risk of making light of this, I, I wonder if uh, dugout floors are going to be a lot cleaner. I mean, have you seen at a baseball stadium like those guys are really disgusting people? Let me tell But, uh, you know, I, I digress. Uh, you know, getting it back to sports and uh, just with regards to uh, 
events being canceled and so on. One event that didn't uh, that did take its time in terms of uh, postponing uh, their uh, games were the Tokyo Olympics, and it took them a while as leagues were uh, shutting down and putting uh, things on hold. Uh, the Tokyo Olympic Committee did say that uh, everything was still a go, that we're still good for 2020, and then all of a sudden they did pull the plug. Uh, Rob, wanted to get your thoughts uh, first. Uh, did you think that the International Olympic Committee uh, did the right thing? Did you think that they should have pulled the plug uh, earlier than they did? I think uh, that the timeline they exercised to sort of cancel it was appropriate for the scenario. In terms of not only is are the Olympics an athletic event, it's an economic just powerhouse. Like I've, ne- I've never been to an Olympics. I'd love to go one day. But just sort of the amount of vendors, third-party commitments, financial commitments, I think uh, if a reaction was immediate and maybe a bit more on the spot, that could have maybe like caused a bit more of a panic and you know contracts with certain vendors and, and the whole business aspect of that wouldn't have been taken care of. So I feel... The decision was right, obviously. It, I don't think anybody doubted it, it, there was going to be a cancellation. Um, the countries who sort of tipped their hat, like I believe Canada was one of the first, or they were the first to sort of say, regardless of outcome, we're not going. And I think the next day it was canceled anyway. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong there. But yeah. I, I think sort of the economic commitments, the travel, the accommodation, you know, um, the eventual c- tough conversation they're going to have to have with NBC and, and then certain vendors like that, it, it was... They handled it, I think, as fast as you possibly could with an event of that scale. So, um, yeah, I think, obviously, no, no, I don't know how many people thought it was going to continue or if they had a deadline, if they were going to be able to hold it to. I'm, I'm not sure of those details, but definitely the right decision. And they, they were probably working overtime in terms of getting this right with all of the uh, the other strings attached with hosting the Olympics, I would think. Well, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of on the same timelines in terms of, them canceling at the at the right time chris what about you did you think that they uh that the ioc and believe me i am not really one to uh applaud the uh, uh practices of the olympic uh committee and the olympics altogether but did you think that they did it uh they did it the right way uh i was actually i was actually quite surprised that they waited to where they did because uh when canada did make the announcement and and our prime minister said that uh, they would not be participating like a lot of people, because I guess because of the situation going on, there's no sports going on, any piece of information that involves a major sporting event becomes a big deal or news. And to me, I, I didn't consider it as, as much of a big deal or headline news because I didn't expect them to actually have the Olympics and eventually that that announcement will be made. So they, they dug deeper. I think the Tokyo part, I think there was a little bit of delay because if I if I – get my history right about that the tokyo tokyo i think the last time they had the olympics was 1964 uh but in 1940 they were supposed to have the olympics and i think it's called the missing olympics uh and then eventually they were able to then have it there so i think a piece of history going back to that where you have it in a city that already had the olympics canceled one time before maybe you know Olympics will always put money. Uh, it becomes a, a tourist attraction for people, and it will pump uh, valuable things into the economy, right? So I think you know that always goes into a major event like that. See, it, it's funny because both of you have mentioned about uh, it 
being an econ- economic uh, boom. And for for me personally, I don't think it is at all. I mean, I, I, I'd I love to uh, dive into this further, but do you guys think that uh, having an Olympics is uh, uh, like a good thing for a host country? Because personally, I think it's a disaster. I mean, you take a look at Athens, for example, Montreal, when they had the Olympics 40 plus years ago, took forever to pay that off. Uh, are you guys for uh, Olympics? Do you guys think that it actually is a money generator? I think it's got to be done right. I, it's a lot of We've seen a lot of Olympics in certain places where, you know, it hasn't come to light yet, but I'm pretty sure there was some bribe action going on <laughs> there in the first place, and that probably spoke to maybe the lack of infrastructure they probably would have had in the first place. I mean, if there's any one place for a summer Olympics, I feel they would have been okay. It's probably Tokyo, the amount of, you know, money and, and infrastructure they have there. They, they may have been okay, but... You, I, I do agree with you with, with certain Olympics, like in Athens, Greece was not ready to pay for that. Uh, Montreal in the 70s, I don't think that was the scenario. But I think there's been some where you could consider them a success if the infrastructure was right and the country could actually afford it. Because sometimes it's, you know, I think Brazil may have been one country recently who would have hosted to put on the world stage but then we saw like certain scandals uh like i believe there was one about that lake that was being used for one of the rowing events which was um had a certain uh, too high of a percentage of uh, fecal matter in in the water was one of the (laughs) many controversies that i remember from that uh olympics so it really it really is um there's all there should be some sort of test that has to be run opposed to just the bidding process maybe when they are being awarded well also don't forget uh don't forget that uh brazil I'll never forget the green swimming pool when they were, I think it was diving events where they yeah, had, yep, that, that, I mean, that was one. an absolute disaster. That, that games was an absolute joke. Yeah. And, and the, the astounding amount of loss that the, uh, the Russia one in terms of financial, I mean, Putin just wanted to probably put on a show there. So that's fine. He could eat the costs of that, but the, the amount of infrastructure in Sochi, I, I remember seeing like some NHL players, uh, after the games, commenting on like their living situations and what some of the, the village looked like, and it was uh, it was really something to see for uh, an event of that magnitude. But uh, I think maybe and, and this wouldn't be in regards to Tokyo because I, I feel like they would have been prepared, but like some kind of test uh, to be put in before a bid should be necessary. But there, if the if the IOC is going to be uh, you know engaged in some not so savory activity to kind of get bid in the first place that's probably not going to see that anytime soon but I, I also think the goal is to try to match somebody who has achieved success so i know like give an example like 1984 was in los angeles the olympics and it was such an overwhelming success that the goal is to try to get to that point and then you i remember there was the, the games in lillehammer in 94 i think they tried to do like the first ever green games right and you know like when you're going to war, you go to a, a city, so you go to a Norwegian city and they're urging companies to follow certain things, you know, uh, going towards a place in Europe like that, you know, it may not be the best if you're looking at a winter games, right? So. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, there is something about uh, having a World Cup of soccer in a country like South Africa. I mean, you know, to uh, put uh, a, a country uh, on the map who may not uh, be uh, as uh, familiar to uh, people, especially, say, uh, given uh, maybe uh, uh, Canadians to uh, us here. Like if there were uh, games in a country that uh, 
that we don't really see on an everyday basis like Rio. I guess uh, that would have been great so long as uh, the country is uh, financially responsible. And that country and city had uh, both the Olympics and the World Cup and just uh, put that uh, to peril. Now, I did want to bring it back. And with regards to uh, the Euros and the Olympics, uh, well, uh, start with the Olympics first. As uh, as sports fans, uh, there was discussion, I'm sure you two heard it as well, of having neutral sites for an Olympic Games. That, And you're seeing it now. Uh, uh, J- Tokyo and Japan has had uh, the Games on a number of occasions. They did have the Winter Games in, in 98. Uh, Beijing is going to be have, uh, hosting uh, the next Winter Games in 22. And then you have Paris. They uh, have had a, a games in the past. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of having only a select handful of cities to host a games? You know, you're going to have, like, first of all, it always comes down to, you know, countries being willing to put forward a bid, right? You know, that's going to be a situation. And obviously there there's takes finances and there takes the infrastructure and it takes the ability because whether it be an Olympics or whether it be a World Cup or a Euros, you know, there are stadiums and facilities that are going to be built and created specifically for that event. And then they are going to be populated or filled for certain events. And then once the Olympics or once those set of games are done, you know, what are we going to be doing with these facilities and the money going in? And I think that's what you were talking before about, yeah. you know, you're not always going to have the success and it's not going to be an economic boom necessarily and and it's very difficult for a city too regardless of what kind of an event when all of a sudden everything that's going on in a busy city it's really creating a lot more uh traffic per se you know a a higher population density and you know you know we see in certain cities right now with with COVID-19 you know you have a New York City that has like 3,000 deaths to this point you know downtown Toronto is very heavily populated so, you know, high population densities and areas where a lot of people are gathered together, you know, it's, it's very difficult. But I think from the perspective that these more major cities, uh, 1988, you know, Calgary at that particular time, Canada was not a very powerful, you know, they, didn't, they only won silver medals. They didn't win any gold medals. That's right. You know, they pushed for the gold. It sort of returned to the west of Vancouver and how successful they were. So I think that's a really big piece, too. Yeah, and so on the flip side now with uh, the Olympics, uh, whether they are, are going to uh, entertain the idea of having a couple of countries uh, host the games, you, the European Soccer Championships were going to uh, do the exact opposite, and they were going to have uh, their uh, tournament within 12 countries. And as much as I was uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, Baku, Azerbaijan was going to look like, uh, it, it was obviously the absolute worst time, you would think, uh, now, uh, because the uh, coronavirus had uh, taken uh, a stranglehold on so many uh, different countries. And uh, the first game was scheduled to be in Rome. And obviously, we know of what uh, the uh, uh, coronavirus has done uh, to that country. Rob, what, what, are your, uh, what are you thinking in terms of a uh, competition, whether it is Euro or uh, the Olympics, uh, should it be in, uh, well, I mean, obviously we're going to stick with uh, Euro now, but do you think that uh, this they were onto something, uh, UEFA, in terms of uh, spreading out uh, the tournament to multiple uh, countries? 
Yeah, I like the idea, and I could actually share sort of a story about this year's Euros in terms of the fact that I was actually trying to get tickets and had tickets for a point. Mm. Um, if I may, the um, I think it was a good idea to start off with because in the past the Euros have been split with countries that um, maybe could share the games to ease the burden. Like I think Poland and Ukraine did a split. Yeah. Um, it was right. uh, Belgium, Netherlands doing a split as well. And when I was uh, trying to get tickets this one, because I had all kinds of intentions of, of going this summer to uh, to watch some games in Italy, um, the, the way that the ticket process worked was you can get um, you had to submit which games you were going to or you wanted to go to, and if you won the lottery, you would. Uh, it was only if all the games you selected were available, and then they would send you how many you can get tickets for, and you had to purchase for all of them to avoid like you know scalping and things like that. And once I was into that stage of the portal, what I noticed was the cities that they chose uh, to host the, the Euros this year that, you know, have lots of visitor traffic, wealthier economies, the, the, the tickets were gone. Like in Munich and London, the, those two cities in particular, we had uh, pretty much no selection. It was completely uh, sold out. But right. then I selected games for the ones in Rome, and, and one of the games I selected in Rome was an, a Team Italy game. And there were still plenty of tickets available. Um, this was before the coronavirus concerns were even on the radar. And they, they kept reminding me, because it was still very ju- just in China, the virus at this point. And they, they kept remind, sending me reminder emails every day to purchase my tickets because uh, they were having problems selling them in, in certain cities. Like in Baku, there wasn't that many being sold. Um, some other cities as well. I think Copenhagen was having some issues with that. So... I think if they were to have the games in the first place, or sorry, the, uh, the Euros, they would have seen right away the ticket prices and the resale markets in certain cities would have been astronomical, and, and some you'd probably just be able to like get a ticket right at the end to go into the stadium. So I think it would have been an interesting trial if they actually had the chance to do it. Um, you would have seen some cities be a complete success and some be a, maybe a bit more difficult in terms of traveling to get to them and maybe not having... You know, if two teams who are, you know, smaller countries playing in Copenhagen, maybe less demand for that than if they were in a big city where people could just get to that easier. So I I think um, it's something they really want to try in Europe to have this increased interconnectivity because they've done the the sharing of the euros before. But we might have to just uh, wait till next summer and see what this is going to look like. But if any indications the way the way things were this time around, I think they're going to have the same problem with the tickets where, you know, in London and Munich, for example, the tickets are going to fly off the shelves instantly. And if you're trying to buy tickets in Baku and Rome, they're going to remind you every day to purchase your tickets. Well, no, and it's funny you mentioned that. I have a story as well. Uh, so uh, the wife and I, we were in Rome and uh, wanted to watch a, a soccer game. And my wife, uh, my wife's uh, being Italian, her uncle told us that we needed to have government ID on us and uh, suggested our passport to buy tickets. I'm surprised that you were saying about counterfeiting. I know that there was an issue uh, years ago, but uh, I'm surprised that uh, I was under the impression that uh, UEFA would have done the exact same thing that uh, were, yes. yeah, Syria did. Okay, so it's essentially, like, yeah. Requesting ID, but I was, just, I was just thinking, if it was still the Euros and they still had tickets available, say in like Baku, for example, they may have just op- they may just open it to the public at that point because the way I went I just I went to my first soccer game in Europe ever this past summer and the, the, how different the experience is in North America it's crazy like the arenas are built so that you can only access the section you walk into the stadium to you show your passport at the door it was it was really something different so uh, the, the, that increased level of difficulty I think would have just made things a mess in in, in this scenario but uh, 
yeah, it is a completely different system the way they do it there. It really is something. Yeah, and you know, uh, I guess to that, uh, because uh, Azerbaijan uh, is not known for having uh, uh, events to this magnitude, you would think that its uh, fellow countrymen would, uh, you know, just uh, flock to the fact if, uh, and I don't have the uh, the group uh, table in front of me and uh, who was going to play where, but if there was a chance of seeing a high-quality team in uh, your own hometown, now whether it is Baku or Bucharest or and uh, Istanbul or whoever that uh, uh, that you know that anybody would uh, be interested in uh, seeing that game. I'm surprised, especially even a city like Rome. You're telling me that Rome is having difficulty uh, selling tickets for uh, for Euro. I got reminder emails every day. <laughs> it was really something. One of them was for the uh, the quarterfinal, which based on the way that the tournament was seated, it was probably going to be one of the teams from the group of death. So at least one good team was going to be in it. And then the other game was the Switzerland-Italy game. So I, I thought, oh, this is going to... I even put in my bid for one of the better tickets because I assumed everybody would, would, would put theirs in for the lower ones. And I, I won it right away. So I was really, really surprised. But then when they opened it up to the general public because they were having problems selling tickets, I kind of looked at all the other cities. And it became really clear where these kind of events have are absolutely no problem it's where people you know are doing better economically and where you can get to easily like all the london ones were if not sold out pretty much there and then some a lot of the other venues like i said daily reminders to those who entered the lottery that they won but at that point i don't think it's a lottery anymore yeah so i i guess as things stand right now as uh as we discussed the olympics are going to take place in 2021 as well as uh the european championships copa as well uh Chris, uh, bring it back to uh, North America. Of course, uh, uh, North American sports had uh, shut down essentially since the second week of March. It is interesting to think of where things are going to take place when the pandemic and uh, everything uh, is uh, as we know it to be done. There is a question, obviously, at right now, we could still speculate in terms of whether the NHL, uh, the NBA is going to uh, resume its season or are they going to just simply cancel it altogether? If you had your uh, commissioner's hat on, if you were Batman, if you were uh, Adam Silver, where do you think uh, things will stand? Do you think that uh, a cup champion and an NBA champion is going to be crowned? One of the things we touched upon it early, uh, it was touched upon earlier, the back to the 9-11 thing. And I think one of the things when sports returns, okay, it gives that opportunity for a lot of people to come together and cheer and share emotion. I, I, I remember one of, the, one of the things Mark Messier back in that day, he said, he goes, it's almost like you don't know what to do. You don't know what's too much or not enough, right? And it's almost like, you look at the the way the seasons are comprised, and so obviously there's all these ideas thrown out there. You know, having a tournament in the NHL with all the rest of the teams and having various forms of elimination, right? Uh, what does that do to the draft, the way it looks? I know the NBA already talked about previously about possibly having these in-season tournaments as well. Which sounds stupid. Let's, uh, let's call it what it is. But I think the idea that we need to uh, look at specifically is, is a season, and, you know, we've had years before where we haven't had a season and a champion hasn't been crowned or we've had delays to a season we you know you go back uh, you know the devil's devil's winning so but the reality is is do people want to see a season is this is something that's important for 
society to get back to that point where we can cheer for it. But having, what does, would that look like to make it fair? Because we still have our players' unions. We still have liabilities. You know, some players, you know, you look at the example, uh, like I, sorry about quick aside, you know, you look at what happened to Jay Bowmeister. You know, I always said the second that it happened to Jay Bowmeister, one of the things that I remember is Jay Bowmeister played the most games in NHL history at one point without ever playing an NHL playoff game. Right. Which meant his season always ended in April. He's coming off a season, you know, he's you know, he's a veteran, he's been playing a while, but he just came off probably the longest season of his career. You know, going until like well into June, playing huge minutes to help the the Blues win the cup. So, you know, at some point in time, you know, you have a situation where an athlete is not accustomed to pushing themselves beyond. So what is too much when especially in this situation, athletes have not been participating, have not been playing at a high level. So, you know, ideally, you'd love to be able to finish the season, but I think it's also important to look at how does that affect the next season and make sure the next season can be successful because that's how we're brought back in and that's how we can take our minds off negative things that happen and sort of pull our way out of, maybe a very stressful day and get to sit down and enjoy a game. So what are, what are the limits? Ideally, you know, we're moving into the summer. If we're going through and passed into June as they, they look at it, you know, moving forward to the next season is probably your best situation. Well, and, and to that, you, you think about uh, routines and so on that these athletes go to these days. I mean, these guys are machines, you know, but the, real, the reality and the fear that I have is that, People are going to forget. And can you imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup uh, this year in a shortened season? Yeah, I it, it, it'll be it'll be a, an absolute disaster. And I I do think that there is something uh, uh, that yeah sure uh, there is something romantic about uh, seeing a champion, whether it is uh, the uh, uh, Stanley Cup or uh, the NBA championship. Uh, you know, and specifically talking about those two because uh, those are the ones at this point where uh, their season is uh, more at risk. I mean, you'd love to think that baseball and Major League Soccer is going to uh, uh, be able to finish in season in some degree at, at some point over the summer. Uh, Rob, what about you? Do you think that uh, we're uh, that the Raptors are actually going to defend their championship this year? And same thing uh, in a hockey perspective for the Blues. Yeah, great for Raptors fans. Uh, the people of Toronto get to experience the feeling of holding a title for two years with only winning one this time, unlike the Jays in the '90s. So that's that's pretty cool. That well, was. I mean, hey, the Jays, uh, the Jays, they were uh, they were World Series champions in '93, and we got to hold that for another year yeah, in '94. Yeah, earned two, two seasons worth of championship feeling. This time, it's a two for one special win mm-hmm. at once, and uh, mm-hmm. hold on to that feeling as champion for two years. Uh, well, one thing I, I'm kind of uh, curious about it, and. I think we're going to see it, not in, every, not in any every of the big four leagues, but in at least some of them, primarily, I think, hockey and basketball. There might be some friction between the, uh, the labor unions for the players and the league in terms of how quickly they can get things ramped up. And I've already heard some players uh, on social media saying, you can't just throw us back on the ice or on the court and expect a product. We're all going to be injured within a week. I don't know how they're going to balance that. And like the idea of playing like exhibition games sounds kind of insane. So I, I don't think just for the 
PR purposes, that's, that is not an option. So if they're kind of, if they treat like a couple regular season games before playoffs as maybe that warm-up, but I don't think it's going to be frictionless. That's one thing I'm curious about, um, more, especially with hockey. Basketball, that is important too, but with hockey especially, a lot of players are not going to be on board with that, I think. So, and with certain teams, like if it's mandated that every team goes back to play, I don't know how much the San Jose Sharks and the Detroit Red Wings are going to be in for uh, in for doing that. And if the, if they're involved, how much of a competitive advantage is it if a team that's you know fighting for a playoff spot with whatever games they decided left gets to play those teams? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff they have to sort out here right now. And I'm that first step before anybody hits the court or the ice is going to be how are they going to sort of acclimate them back into the game? Because the, the unions are going to ask for it, and they're going to have to concede some way to get that. Well, and uh, the reality is is that there are going to be some changes, especially in the uh, immediate sense in terms of trying to salvage any sort of season that did, uh, that did start. But what about in terms of just overhauling certain uh, certain uh, things about each respective sport? You know, there are a lot of people who are critical of uh, certain things, interleague play with baseball, the shootout in hockey. Uh, you know, you could think about uh, even as something as uh, three points for a winning uh, a winning club in a in a soccer match and so on. Yeah, um, there's two elements of that that I'm interested in. The first one is more immediate, and that's the sense of how important is the gate revenue for every league. Because if they can get the go-ahead or a special permit to get things up and running without fans, are they going to do it? Um, I think hockey would say no, but certain leagues like the NFL and baseball who have these lucrative TV deals, the baseball more out of just the amount of games they play, and the NFL because it's a ratings killer. Every product they put out on Sunday night, it's like the highest-rated programs of the year every year. Sure. But I don't think they're as much concerned about it. So in the immediate, like the first before they even step on uh, the ice or the court again, I'm, there's kind of a, we have a live case study ahead of us for how important the gate is for these leagues because if they can get things going and, and kind of get some revenue back in in front of empty stadiums, that's kind of a first step. In terms of new initiatives, uh, baseball, I feel, is the least likely to change anything. They're kind of a slave to their own history. They like having stats be comparable across all eras. They want to see if... You know, uh, Mike Trout played in the 1920s. Would his stats still line up? And if you brought Babe Ruth into today, could he still handle the pitches? He was, like, they, they, they will change only when absolutely necessary. Um, so an element like interleague play, if anything, that'll just need to be more so they could uh, get more teams involved with each other. But I think the, the, the leagues where you might see the most new initiatives are going to be the ones that are more dynamic. Um, that would be the NBA, uh, Adam Silver is a very progressive commissioner, and I think in the NHL, but the NHL will be probably more out of necessity because they don't have the revenue opportunities that the other big four have um, in that sense. So, Chris, uh, you know, considering that uh, you and I are uh, roughly the same age, uh, I don't know about you, but I am kind of a traditionalist. I'm kind of not. Wanted to pose a question to you in terms of uh, if there was one thing that you could change that exists in uh, whatever sport. With me personally, and I'm going to say it, and uh, you two might disagree with me, I'm a fan of the shootout, but I've always uh, wanted to see, instead of a best of three, go to a best of five. 
then and don't get me started with the whole point uh, set up in terms of uh, one point for an overtime loss and so on. But if the shootout was a best of five, like it is in soccer, uh, in uh, uh, elimination matches, uh, World Cup Euro and so on, I think it would be a lot more exciting. And definitely, I need to see a winner in uh, in hockey. For sure. Chris, uh, is there something that jumps out that uh, you would like to see, you know, just for fun, uh, asking, uh, you know, if uh, you had a choice to choose changing one element of one sport? Yeah, so going, I, I'm very much so like you. So, like, there are many people that think my favorite sport is hockey. My favorite sport has been baseball my entire life. So, you know, baseball being probably the most traditional, most for however long, you know, they refuse to eliminate the aspect that there's only four teams in the playoffs, and you win the pennants, right? It was such a big deal getting to that point. You know, interleague baseball pushed along. I, I know uh, Justin Turner was in the news because he talked about, you know, if the game was going to go to extra innings, you know, maybe do a home run derby. So <laughs> you like the skills competition aspect. So the shootout is fun for the person that is not maybe the – is for the average fan, right? It's enjoyable to watch. You know, it's exciting to watch. Personally, myself, I would I would be fine with a tie in hockey. I would be fine with not having a shootout. It's exciting to see, but I also think it becomes a skills competition aspect. And I, especially with the, and, and don't get me started on the point systems. Yeah, sure. Because I've always been a proponent, and if you are going to always offer a point for overtime loss or a shootout, I would love to see three points handed out every game. Right, I would love three points, and that would force a team to really want to win in regulation. But I think the other thing in terms of in terms of things that might change, you know, like maybe a rule. If we have a shortened season in baseball, I don't know how much baseball that you guys are really involved in fantasy baseball. I love to do it. Young pitchers that are limited on their innings. You know, back in the days where you could throw a guy out there every third day and he could pitch as many as much as he wanted right sure now we're being very cautious with the number of innings a pitcher is you know being thrown in, the, in there for you have a shorted season a lot of these guys are now going to be more heavily involved in the season right and, that and extra inning aspect is probably something that i would like to see changed in baseball where a game could go to 22 innings in the middle of you know june where there's really no need for that to happen because at that point, you know, how much sales are being taking place at the ballpark after the seventh inning, obviously, and play, people are sitting there for much longer, right? Uh, in terms of something exciting to see have, have happen is that shootout aspect, I could even see it veering the other way and just even having one shot each because it's just if you were going to put one player out there, you want a winner, this is how you decide it. But I'm, I'm, because I'm a traditionalist, the shootout just doesn't, doesn't work for me the same way. Yeah, I think, I, I think and uh, Rob, love to get uh, your suggestions in a second. But if you have uh, and, uh, two points for a win or two points for an overtime win and one point for a shootout win, I think that there is going to be a lot. And uh, keep it three on three in overtime and... Uh, that sort of thing. I, I, I think that there is a lot of value because uh, more than anything, I, I for one don't want to see a continuous game. I personally, however, love seeing continuous overtime in uh, in the NHL playoffs. I mean, I think that's just the most captivating hockey. And yeah, sure, five overtimes and you feel for these guys who are out there, especially the goalies. But 
I, I think uh, the NHL did hit something in terms of uh, declaring a winner in hockey because it's not soccer. There's uh, a lot more offense to uh, an NHL game versus a soccer game. And yeah, you don't want to be out there. Uh, you're going to be out there for like a day and a half waiting for uh, uh, the first goal in a soccer game uh, if uh, you change the rules that way. But, uh, you know, R Rob, uh, I guess in terms of how you want to tackle this, uh, whether you think that uh, I'm uh, completely out to left field uh, with regards to the shootout or any uh, sort of changes you had for or uh, that uh, kind of gets on your nerves uh, out there in the world of sports? Yeah, I kind of, I've always kind of been okay with the shootout. I'm, I don't know if it's because of, you know, I grew up with it or like anything like that, but I feel like the shootout is fine, but there does need to be three-point games. The fact that in the NHL some games are worth two and some games are worth three grand total that, that the math gets a little funny sometimes. So I am totally in favor of the three-point regulation win, two-point overtime or shootout win, and the one-point for losing in overtime. I do kind of like that. And I think we've had three-on-three -three now for what, this is what, the second or the third year of three-on-three -three hockey, and I'm not sure in overtime. I think it's the second year. I, can't, I, 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 thought, I thought it was more than that. I could be way wrong. I thought it was three. more than that. But for having that, I feel like that's kind of killed the shootout. You really don't see that many anymore. And you definitely don't see them in the playoffs. The playoffs, you you can't change. That, I know it's it's a it's a grind from hell in terms of how difficult it is for these players. This, this continuous overtime, but at that point, it's the playoffs. You kind of want to see it. I'm I'm very much okay with the, the shootout staying, but I think the most important thing for hockey to do is to have a universal point system. Every game is worth three points, or every game is worth two points. However, they want to do it. I'm not too concerned with that. And also, in terms of like the shootout being a gimmick, if you were to offer sort of an overtime tie-breaking gimmick in the four major sports leagues, I think the shootout in hockey is the most true to its actual sport. Absolutely. Like, in football, you have to play, like, if you're not playing football, it's it's kind of like skills drills. Like, you're going to, like, hit field goals or a passing competition. It's not really football anymore. In baseball, it's not really baseball anymore. In basketball, I don't even know what it would be, but... In basketball, because there's so much more points to score, I feel like continuous overtime is fine because the, the likelihood of a tie is just so much less. Yeah, you're not going to bring the pitching coach out to throw in a, a gopher ball for a home run derby. Yeah, right? exactly. They're like, not part the, of the actual game, so then to be part of the result wouldn't be quite fair. Yeah. The, the shootout is still hockey in the sense that you have a player using hockey moves to get to a hockey goalie to score a hockey goal. The only difference, you know, like no rebounds, okay, fine, whatever. That's like the only slight difference in the rules there, and the puck has to move forward. But I, 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 in, in that sense, in terms of rule changes, I'm not, I'm not really, like every time they announce something new, I, I'm not one of the people who like will see it and get super excited, like, oh, wow, like this is going to like change things forever. And some of them, you know, as necessary as they are, but I don't know, especially with, with this pause right now, and these leagues have nothing but time to think about this. I, I'm curious to see how much they're just going to ride the wave of sports returning to kind of flesh out how good the product is that they're putting out anyway. Like in recent years, for example, we've seen baseball attendance completely plummet. I think of the, of the big four sports leagues, that's probably the one that's suffering the most, and more so in the the 20 out of 30 markets that don't have winning teams. A lot of teams in baseball, 
baseball are not as competitive as maybe the top 10% of teams who you can kind of guess pretty accurately who's probably making the playoffs in baseball more so than you can in hockey, or, uh, I, would, I would say. So I think if they were going to try anything, they might want to trial run kind of post-coronavirus what like the game's going to be in its most probably explosive, profitable, exciting form when this all gets back up and running again. And if a league, I mean, that is a good time to try something new, but kind of resting on their laurels might actually kind of be the indicator of what should stay and what shouldn't. So I, I, I would be happy if the leagues really didn't change that much, minus the schedule concerns or sort of getting things back up and running because we all know because things have been delayed now, changes are going to happen in every sports league. That's a fact. We're not changing that now. But in terms of creating maybe gimmicks or like adding, changing different rules, I, I could see the league sitting on what they got for a year or two and then making some decisions from when their product is going to be so accelerated that everyone's going to maybe not consume it even at the ballpark or at the rink, but just in terms of like consuming it, you know, either through uh, fantasy sports or watching it on TV or, or whatever the, the, the means they do it. If they, I could see, you know, governments being short on money, maybe sports gambling comes in heavy and then that accelerates some interest. I, I would not be shocked at all if by the end of this we have sports betting in all the major leagues because the governments are so broke paying for uh, <laughs> how this is all, what's been going on recently. Any revenue stream you can get is great. Sports betting, yep, no problem. Let it happen. I think there's going to be, whenever this, this happens, there's going to be an acceleration of the product returning, and that'll be a really, really good indicator of maybe where to take things from there. And maybe, maybe even like uh, just thinking about it in my head, baseball, the thought of like trying to get the season in, one of the things they're thinking about doing was they had this in the past, back in the old days, I think, the doubleheader seven-inning games to try oh, to get yes. two games in, right? Yep. So that, but just, that totally changes the dynamic of a game. It changes the dynamic of a rotation in baseball. And it's not the traditionalist method, but it might be done to allow a season to get in. But how willing are they – are they to do that? And I think like that would be a change that they could make to get a season in. But what would that look like, and who would be all for that? And obviously, go back to the statistics, and that changes history. And baseball, the traditionalists might not might not be willing to do that. Right. And between, I think between players, management, the organizations themselves, everyone's going to have excuses, and nobody's going to care. I, I think as fans, we really don't care. Um, organization to organization, they're probably not going to care either. So none of the things are going to become old school again, but I think these, when things kind of get a bit more back to normal, how, how the best way to say this would be probably be like how open they are to it will kind of, kind of flush out sort of the excuses of, you know, oh, we're not ready for this, or oh, this is so different. No one's going to care. It's going to kind of be like, not maybe Wild West, but a lot more um, like just ready for that drastic change that might happen just by how different it feels. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, to that, guys, uh, you know, you, you take a look at baseball, who uh, in, instituted a uh, a pitch clock. Uh, they got rid of the uh, four pitch intentional walk, and of course, uh, I guess it'd be what close to uh, well, it's not quite twenty five years ago since uh, they introduced interleague play. And uh, Chris definitely agree with the tradition of. Uh, of baseball but you know if 
if baseball is uh, struggling at the gate and if they're struggling in terms of revenue or, or whatever the case is, you know, you're in the uh, you're in the um, uh, money making business. I mean, uh, you know, get it done. Like, I just can't see why and uh, like how much uh, tradition just hampers decisions to be made. And, you know, this is a completely different topic, but you know, people are just so keen on uh, history and tradition. And, you know, you take a look at a, at a team like the Washington Redskins and uh, its owner, uh, who apparently is a real piece of work, he is insistent on not uh, changing the name uh, Redskins, uh, despite it being so uh, offensive, uh, because of the sake of history. Well, the last time I checked, and yeah, sure, uh, the Redskins are an incredibly wealthy franchise. They're not the New York Yankees. They're not the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and I can only see how much money they will make when, if they had changed uh, their team logo. I, I just find it completely fascinating. And, and, and it, not only doing that, if you think about them changing the logo, it could also mean like a new beginning and a fresh start because there's been a lot of misery being a Redskins fan in recent memory. Yeah, just uh, the fact that uh, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, there was some hubbub about uh, them changing their traditional uh, brown and white uh, uh, jersey there. And, I mean, the Cleveland Browns is one of the most horrible franchises in uh, in North America. And uh, for people to get uh, hung up on uh, the jerseys uh, that they changed, is uh, it really is, uh, really is incredible. And uh, so with that said, guys... Uh, you know, uh, we'll uh, set aside uh, everything that is uh, coronavirus related uh, for now. Uh, you know, something that I should have asked in the beginning of uh, when uh, we first uh, started was, how have you guys uh, been, uh, like, in terms of how uh, everything has taken place, how different? Chris, you're a teacher. Uh, so, uh, like, how can you surmise what exactly has gone on? Because, you know, to this day, I am still amazed that you know three weeks in, and this is uh, this is the 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 life with their that we're living right now. When we found out that like what was was happening, like uh, we found out, and we had one day when they extended this uh, to being two weeks off afterwards, right? You know, we had we had one more day to go back to school on the Friday and get things sorted out moving forward. And I guess because we had the March, you know, it's. Like, symbolized also you know having those two extra weeks you know there were a lot a number of families and things that were were going away some of the students in my class had already left for vacation etc um some had already been traveling abroad prior because you know when you're not an educator you know it is a time of the year to go on vacation you know in the off season you know it's not it's not as expensive you know but you know being a teacher and my wife's a teacher you know my kids are at home you know now you have a four-person unit and you're spending a lot of time together, right? And it's really changing. And, you know, before, you know, it was all about go, go, go. Both of my daughters were are playing rep soccer, so they'd have practices, you know, three, four times a week. You know, they do piano. They played, they tried hockey this year for the first time. So every day there's an activity going on when we're finishing up, whether it be during the school week or after. And then now it's just like, okay, what are we doing today? Oh, we're at home, right? So it's... <laughs> It's a much different situation. Uh, you know, as a teacher, we're getting set for a new phase, which is distance learning starting starting uh, this week, uh, approaching on Monday. And basically, you know, we're going to see how that looks. And that'll be a way different way of 
connecting with our students and just talking to even some of my students in the last week, you know, they're, they're really, you know, thrown back and they don't know what to do with themselves. They, you know, they want to be back in the classroom. So. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, to that, uh, you know, you were talking about go, but go, go before uh, everything happened. I mean, do, do you personally think that uh, you're going to change uh, your day-to-day routine once everything gets back to normal? I like to be a busy person, so, you know, I, I enjoy teaching. Teaching is something that I really enjoy doing, you know. Sometimes, you know, my wife gives a hard time because she knows that I go to work, and that's part of, it's almost my break of the day, you know. You know you're in a career <laughs> where you're doing something you like, that that's sort of your break where you get your downtime a little bit, and you get more time to sort of relax. So I enjoy doing things, especially when it involves doing things with your kids, etc. but I think I also value now getting to be at home and getting to relax. You know, sometimes, like I, I said this to some of the teachers this week, because, you know, they're very overwhelmed because they've been teaching a while and they're not used to technology, and that's going to be a focus now. Breathing is not optional, right? So I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah, and uh, Rob, what about you? Like, as a, as a younger guy, I mean, Chris and I, we didn't have uh, the technologies uh, that uh, are obviously so prevalent today and to, in my personal opinion is the reason why we're so go 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 where our mind is always uh, on overload with uh, uh, with uh, whatever we're uh, looking at on our phones and such uh, have you uh, taken a look and uh, is there a potential of just uh, sort of readjusting your day-to-day once things get back to normal yeah I think there's definitely some readjustments on their way but it I feel like I'm very fortunate in the fact that uh, I've been able to work from home about 80% of the days for the last two years since I graduated. Um, My job requires me to, a lot of my clients are not based in uh, Canada, they are based in the U.S., so I'm able to, uh, I probably actually mentioned what I do, I'm a, so I do, uh, I'm a compensation analyst, so I work with, uh, with compensation. Um, I've been, in, in the work aspect, there's been almost zero change. So I'd see, it's interesting kind of, you know, I'll hop on social media and I'll see everybody adjusting. And for years, like the last two years, I've kind of been telling people, yeah, I work from home like four, sometimes five days a week. And, uh, you know, there's really no need for me to go to the office. If I'm going to be on the phone a, a lot during the day and I don't have to, you know, be in a crowded space. And I've had the work from home technology basically since the first day I started working right out of school. So I've had this kind of interesting experience of seeing everybody else adapt to something that's been my world for about a year and a half now. Um, So in that sense, probably one of the more unchanged people, but in terms of my daily routine, other stuff I do, um, it, it is, I think, well, right now, obviously, things are very different in terms of, like, you know, going out or, like, having a social life or, or doing anything that, you know, requires people, that, that involves people is it, it, so different. But I, I'm really curious what things might look like uh, post, um, post all this. And, and one example I could say is uh, I went on vacation last summer, and I based the whole trip around crowded places. So um, Paris for the French Open, Monaco for the Formula One, and then Madrid for the Champions League final within a week span. Sign of jumping back and forth from crowded different sporting events. Um, I I don't know if the future ever holds me kind of 
picking the three most crowded places I could be in Europe within a two weeks and going to all of them. <laughs> um, so that part of my life in terms of like other events that I, I, I like doing, I do enjoy that thing. I, I do like, you know, being in crowds doesn't bother me. I like going to concerts. Um, probably out of my own control, that's probably going to be a lot more limited. Uh, you know, well, it, it, it will be for certain for the next few months. After that, you know, I'm not really sure. So it's, the, the main aspect of my life in terms of like being at home and working is, as crazy as it says, very much unchanged. Uh, but then everything else is, is just so different. Uh, I really am curious what the new normal is kind of going to become. Yeah, well, okay, before we, uh, before we change topics, who did you go to Europe with? So I was my best friend, um, Mark. He, uh, we, we've, we've, been, we've been talking about doing this since we were in high school. When we in high school, we're like, oh, let's do this when we graduate university. And we kept talking about it. And then we graduated from university in undergrad, and he got, and we're like, oh, well, we don't really have a lot of money. So he, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he gets to work. I, I do a master's. Um, and then I wait a full year after my master's uh, of working to do it. So the initial plan was the year we graduated university was when the Euros were in France. That was the initial plan, but okay. we're like, we should probably uh, we should probably wait till this makes a lot more sense. And it made a lot of sense last summer, and I'm really glad we didn't do it this summer because that just wouldn't have happened at all. So and you just reminded me there. You're talking about getting to do something, and I I was planning to go to Disney with my family for a few years. A couple of summers ago, we were planning on going. We adjusted it and we postponed it. We went last year. Right. We had a beautiful 10-day vacation. We stayed on the resorts, and I'm just thinking, like, that was basically the last time I had this much family time. Yeah. I'm just thinking how fortunate I am. We take things for granted that that wasn't this year because it was probably the greatest experience of all four of our lives, right? right. Both my daughters and my wife and I, right? And getting to do that and being fortunate that it happened to be at the time it was. Yeah, with me personally, uh, you know, my, my wife and I, we had a couple of things uh, that came up. And in terms of, you know, it's not that uh, it's definitely not uh, the fact of taking it for granted. And, you know, I'm uh, very skeptical anytime that I hear uh, hear that phrase. Uh, but, you know, things do get uh, busy and tied up and can only imagine, obviously, with a young family, Chris, that you, you're tied up as well. And actually, it was a number of years where uh my wife and I didn't go on vacation at all. We uh, we went to a uh, we went to a Red Sox game, and I guess it would have been give or take 2011. Uh, and other than a, a trip uh, for a week, like we didn't, we spent like a good seven years not going on vacation for extenuating circumstances. And now, the first one we've been on ever. <laughs> you're kidding, and like uh, and you and your wife have been. Uh, so this is with your family. Obviously, you went on a, some sort of vacay with your oh, wife. Last time I went anywhere was my honeymoon. Huh? back in 2008 so wow wow so you know it's yeah we all get uh, we all get busy and we're going to get busy again yeah. but uh reality is is that i think that there definitely is a lot of uh a lot of lessons that a lot of us can learn uh in terms of uh just uh, seizing the seizing the moment and just uh, just running with it. So uh, let's uh, let's put coronavirus aside, guys. Uh, there's a couple more uh, sports items to talk about, and uh, now that we're getting uh, the quote unquote privilege of seeing ESPN Sports Center uh, these days, they've been going really really heavy with Tom Brady. Of course, he signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ending his 
relationship and perhaps the uh, greatest tenure of any time with uh, one team and that of course uh, uh, with the New England Patriots and six Super Bowls later. How surprised were you, uh, Chris? Well, why don't we start over with you? Now, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have uh, an allegiance to an NFL team. Uh, uh, are you guys uh, somewhat close to, like, do you have a relationship with the uh, Patriots or the Bills, somebody within the division, or do you guys even care about football at all? <laughs> well, I'm coming, off, I'm coming off a really heartbreaking attempt. I'm a San Francisco 49 Ooh, my sympathies. So it was a very exciting season where, you know, everybody all year called the pretenders, pretenders, pretenders. And, you know, outside of the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, you know, they did everything possible to prove that wrong. So, you know, just going back to the Patriots and we talk about, you know, whether it be a player playing for a team for their entire career, like I think about like a Derek Jeter or something, right? You have these teams that are almost, you know, indestructible, okay? In this day and age where where different leagues have so much competition, uh, to me, myself, I can't but respect the Patriots, but I've never been a fan. Right? <laughs> I've been a fan. You got to appreciate Brady, though. I mean, I'm not the biggest Patriots fan either, but uh, Tom Brady, he's led a life, let me tell you. Well, when, when you're a sixth-round pick and everybody doesn't think you're able to do it, and you do what he achieved, and I think that's the biggest thing here. You know, you're making that transition, and he's going, you know, between his relationship where you have a Brady and you have a Belichick. Um but, you know, going, we're talking about Tom Brady himself, and we were talking before about the NFL and the NFL about, you know, the economics behind it and, you know, the television deals. When sports completely stopped due to the coronavirus, NFL wasn't stopped. They were making trades and signings left and right. Absolutely. My phone was lighting up from every transaction that was happening. So, you know, it was all about NFL every day. You know, because we lost all those other sports, that's all we're thinking about. But to me, I can't but respect Tom Brady and what he's achieved. And I think him making the change. Are you asking me, you know, about what I think of his signing with Tampa? Well, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, and uh, just with regards to what does it do, do for his legacy in the sense that, you know, you take a guy like Peyton Manning, you think of him as solely an Indianapolis Colt. In my opinion, I think of him as an Indianapolis Colt. Having said that, he did win a Super Bowl with Denver, so it, and good for that because then uh, his brother would have beat him in Super Bowls, right? <laughs> and uh, but but yeah, and uh, to that, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that Peyton had a more acknowledged, uh, recognized career than Eli. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I so, think he also went to a team that was substantially at a at a more prepared level to compete for a Super Bowl. And I think that's the biggest question mark here is, where is a team like Tampa Bay in terms of their positioning to compete? Because I think his legacy could be in a situation where if he totally falls flat in his face in Tampa Bay, it may adjust the way that people look at things. Now, a lot of people are forgetting about the fact, his contracts and the amount of years that he sort of was willing to take pay cuts so that other players could be part of the organization. And Tampa Bay's giving him a substantial contract. So I think 
That's a big deal. I, I just read. I just got a, a an update today. He's renting out Derek Jeter's place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, cause, uh, uh, because you know, later in life and family's important and being in a position where you can enjoy life as well. You know, maybe Tampa Bay is a more relaxing spot for him. Maybe it's time to turn the page because you know, even as an organization, is New England still at that point where they're going to be competing the same way? And Tampa has a a good young core there. Right? Well, and I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you that I, I did go to the last regular season game in Tampa against Atlanta, which obviously turned out to be Jameis Winston's last game as a Buck, and it was empty. It was maybe a third, a third uh, empty, and Tampa they uh, they did have uh, some some uh, some winning seasons, and they did have some success in the early days. They won a Super Bowl uh, in the early two thousands. And but they have not had anything to cheer about in years. And if if Brady uh, can uh, turn water into wine, I mean, I just have a feeling that 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 town is going to erupt uh, with what could potentially happen. Uh, Rob, what do you think this does for Brady's legacy? I, you know, Chris touched on it uh, uh, for a second there with regards to Derek Jeter. You think of Kobe Bryant, uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, you know, is there something about an athlete who spends his entire career with one team? Or is that done? Is that just like, uh, you know, it's great if it happens, but, you know, it, it doesn't mean a heck of a lot. I think in terms of legacy, wherever his legacy is now, it is not taking a step back. I think he could go on the field the first game, throw nine picks and never play again, and his legacy doesn't really take that much of a step. I think so. his worst-case scenario is kind of how we remember Joe Montana as a Kansas City Chief, and no one really cares. It's, he, even though I think I believe he did have some success there. He didn't win. Well, maybe, but think, yeah, and being a Niners fan as well, I know full well. He didn't make <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like, like he didn't really, like, like you know, It's not one of those players like a Paul Coffey, you know, Paul Coffey just wouldn't quit hockey, right? And yeah. And kept playing, right? Okay, well, okay, now to that, guys, uh, you know, Bobby Orr, he did spend a, a minute with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. A minute, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. so in, in that sense, I don't think he's taking a step back. Um, what this could do for his legacy, though, is probably to a greater extent than Peyton Manning did with the Broncos, if he does, you know, not necessarily, he doesn't have to win. Winning would be the ultimate, but just even doing well with the Bucks team, bringing them some relevancy, it really could do something for his legacy. But I think also it, it's it, it, it's just fascinating to see what's going to happen without, without having Belichick around. Because, like, people, some people are really stubborn and they'll say, like, oh, you know, he's nothing without Belichick and Belichick's nothing without him. That's that's garbage. I think you put them, either of those guys in any organization, they're going to be successful. You put them together and look what happened for the last, uh, I don't know, like 20 years, I guess you could say almost. Sure. Um, sure. So in terms of a legacy move, it's uh, either not a step at all, or it could be really something substantial in terms of bringing a franchise to relevancy, maybe winning them a Super Bowl. You know, that would be another ring for him, which is just insane in terms of if you look at how many Super Bowls have been handed out and how many of them he's played in and how many of them he's won. That's just uh, an incredible mark on the game that will never be forgotten. Um, now, so, yeah, in, in that sense, well between him and Kawhi Leonard, if you were with. Sorry, say it again. Would there be a parallel between a Brady and a Kawhi Leonard if you were to win? I feel like it's a bit of a different narrative. Like with Kawhi, Kawhi came in. I mean, people had concerns about his health because he only played, I think, nine games that last year in San Antonio. I mean, maybe you can 
use the health angle with Kawhi similar to the age angle with Brady. But the Raptors, you know, were a really good playoff team every single year that just couldn't get past LeBron. And then you bring in a top five NBA player who became very quickly, like, no doubt in anyone's mind, a top three player in the NBA. Yeah. And it, it was really something to watch. But with Brady, I feel like, you know, with all those weapons and stuff, it's just it's an interesting thing to see. And the fact that he was so good to the Patriots, he never asked for a max deal. He did, like Chris was mentioning, he, he did, you know, nobody knew what his contract was because he was – he was renegotiating it every year to make sure they can get, you know, that that excellent uh, linebacker or more support in their O-line or whatever the, the need was for that year they could they could do with him. Uh, and in terms of, uh, ready to get to your question about, I guess, the, uh, the one, like the one team player, I feel like, th- I think a lot of people are over that because I think you, I don't know the statistics for this, but you probably saw a lot more of that back in the day. But I don't think anybody expects it anymore. Everybody knows how lucrative free agency now is in the big four sports. We see every year on the free agency day what these guys are signing for, and we imagine putting ourselves in their shoes and being like, wow, can you imagine if I could just sign that and then I'm set for the rest of my life? And some guys get to do that multiple times. So, like, and personally, with my favorite teams, uh, I've been a Colts fan, for example, since the early 2000s. So, Seeing Manning leave was kind of weird, and in terms of soccer, I was a bit late to the party, but kind of my team is AC Milan. Seeing Maldini kind of spend his entire very long career with AC Milan, that's all I ever really saw for my own personal fandom, and I've never really expected it. Like that year where Manning, I think, started having issues with his neck, I knew the writing was on the wall. Or that the team wasn't good enough for him to be around, and if he wanted to keep going... They were going to have to rebuild around a new quarterback, and you know Andrew Luck, him being up that year was pretty convenient. So them tanking made total sense for him. Um, I don't really expect players to ever have to like stay with. I mean, it's cool to see. It's just kind of like a novel thing. But in terms of the markets I've cheered for, or just kind of like observing other, you know, kind of figures where that's happened, uh, I I think that's less important for everybody these days because if you ask anybody, like. You know, maybe back in the 80s, you know, free agency wasn't as lucrative. The leagues weren't as big, and, you know, players weren't content machines on their own. Like, you know, Brady has his own, like, TB12 thing sure. up on Instagram, and he's got his own brand. That was – I don't know who the first major athlete was with a brand. Like, significant probably Jordan, but, like, to, to a level before that, like, nobody really had one that substantial, like, even even close. I, well, I, I mean, really... like, uh, even, like, a guy like Fred Van Vliet has his own line, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, and now Fred's my guy. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, you know, could you see B.J. Armstrong have uh, his own line, Chris? I mean, you know, uh, he probably is out of uh, uh, before uh, Rob's time, but uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I, and I, even uh, touching upon what Rob was saying, like even you know, man, Manning, the writings on the wall. Being a Niners fan, you had a Montana, you had Steve Young waiting in the wings, so it was almost like. You know, the writing was on the wall for him to move aside. So I, I just really look at it, and I, I think well, after Rob was speaking, you know, I think only Brady could actually help himself with this move. Yeah, I don't think it's going to negatively affect him. And it's so true that imagine if Tampa were – like Tampa won its only Super Bowl with Brad Johnson, right? You know, think about it. And if you – Randy, you said they had the empty seats. If Tampa is successful and they are to be able to compete – this can only be a win-win for everybody. But I guess the uh, the question that I have is that 
you know, for every uh, person who, uh, you know, proved the critics wrong. And, uh, you know, you compared uh, Kawhi Leonard and you threw out the, that out there, Chris. I personally think of Shaquille O'Neal. Here's a guy who uh, had uh, Phil Jackson as his coach, uh, had, a, had a guy like Kobe. And whether it was uh, his right-hand man or whether Shaq and Kobe were 1 and 1A, he goes to a, a place like Miami, wins a championship over there. Uh, but what if he's Brett Favre? I mean, Brett Favre didn't do himself any favors uh, when he went to the Jets, when he went to Minnesota. The clock struck 12 for Brett Favre uh, when uh, he left Green Bay. And you want to talk about a guy waiting in the wings. You had a guy like Aaron Rodgers who was uh, just tapping his foot, waiting for his chance. And uh, he got it. And finally, after... Uh, and, and it was long overdue. So not saying that uh, Brady's going to be like Favre, but he's 42 years old. Yeah, not a young guy. <laughs> and I, I know when his birthday is because his birthday is the same as mine. And as soon as I turn 40, it's harder and harder to get out of bed. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's a 48-hour bug. Oh, man, it's brutal. It's brutal. But, uh, hey, anyway, so it would be interesting to see uh, Tom Brady uh, with uh, some uh, some new colors representing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, guys, uh, a couple years ago, it was uh, a rather ominous day in this country. It was uh, April 6th is the uh, anniversary of the accident involving the Humboldt Broncos. The entire country really uh, took a moment to reflect, and uh, I uh, distinctly remember and uh, seeing a lot of hockey sticks being put out on people's porches and so on. Uh, 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 Rob, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, I guess uh, with regards to uh, what took place and uh, just the reflection that Canadians took uh, with regards to uh, that tragedy, uh, what do you remember most? I remember just like thinking back to like my younger hockey days. So I started playing like hockey when I was nine. I never really did it at like a super competitive level. It was to me, it was just a fun thing. And that's you know at that age, like even the age of those kids, like I, I know they a lot of them you know maybe had aspirations, but like there's still a lot of them just kind of doing it for the fun of it and just to kind of affiliate any sort of tragedy with something that like some people that's like maybe all they look forward to. Like that's the one thing that brings them joy. It was really. I think that's why so many people kind of it really like, struck a chord with them. They it, it, it's just so, something that's so close to home. That was uh, really something. I remember you, you would never think like like before that happened. If if I said like the story that's going to captivate this nation for months to come is going to be this, without the context of it, if you just kind of told me beforehand, you know, I wouldn't believe. But then when you kind of really break down everything about it, it, it kind of. Um, it kind of unfolds a bit more. Yeah, and and Chris, I, I guess, uh, and I hate to bring uh, parallels from one instance to another, but you know, you think about uh, uh, traveling from city to city, community to community. Whether you're a teenager, uh, young uh, young guys like uh, the members of the uh, Humboldt Broncos. Of course, there was members of the uh, team, the coaching staff, uh, members of the coaching staff, and. Uh, uh, support staff that uh, were involved in the accident and I, I guess one thing that uh, can be uh, observed and uh, questioned is you know you'd think that there'd be some sort of uh, changing of the rules and uh, in terms of just uh, uh, the way travel is done I, I would and I don't have kids and I don't know what the uh, what the uh, logistical uh, uh, ways are in terms of uh, 
major junior or junior a whatever uh, whatever it's called but it happened and uh canadians were very uh, uh remorseful but i guess it's something where it didn't really uh change uh the dynamic of travel uh in terms of uh teams uh especially with low budget uh teams uh such as uh uh minor minor hockey yeah that's for sure right because you know we talk in the distances that you know a lot of the western teams have to travel where you know there's there's large masses of land where you're traveling across where you know there isn't residential area right you know you're in rural area so it's the economics is always going to come back into it so you know we're talking about all that's going on in sports whether we're at the professional level or we're at an amateur level but the reality is is low low budget teams and teams that are working like this the travel arrangements are limited to begin with right but it's you take a step back and is it are we looking at what are ways to change it and then sometimes they're looking at how do we stick you know it goes back to that whole uh, the whole discussion and the whole slogan about humble and strong right and making sure we keep persevering we keep pushing through that but you do that but changes don't get made right so where where is the the balance so to speak right you know even when i was thinking of that it was at a lesser degree but i you know being a little bit older i remember the the crash was 1986 with current broncos sure sure i remember that so you know uh lindy ruff former coach his brother died and it joe sackick was actually the captain of the swift current broncos right mm-hmm. i think there was four players that died there but things changed a little bit more then or there because it was a more well-known team right well, yeah, and uh, I, I remember a bus accident involving the California, well, what was, who was known as the California Angels, and uh, if you remember Buck Rogers, he was a uh, one-time manager of the Expos, he was the manager of the Angels. Now, nobody, uh, nobody was uh, seriously hurt, uh, definitely nobody died, but, uh, you know, it just takes, uh, take it, it takes an instance like Swift Current or uh, even uh, the Russian club from the KHL uh, back in 2011. Right. So former, you know, yeah, you know, he was a Stanley Cup winner last with the Red Wings, and I was looking, you know, as, at a clip, and somebody was remembering him, you know, because he was the coach of the team. Yeah. And it went down. Yeah. So, so. you know, uh, I, I guess, uh, well, just uh, hopefully, uh, more and more measures can be taken place. Uh, with that said, uh, one of the uh, players who was involved in that accident has been uh, quite vocal uh, with regards to a couple of. Uh, Issues. Uh, Ryan Stritnitsky, uh He he was uh, on record to say that he was uh, uh, and shared his thoughts with regards to the uh, uh, Rogers handling of Don Cherry when he was fired a uh, uh, number of months ago. And uh, reports are is that uh, Stritnitsky has filed a lawsuit uh, with who were uh, in uh, in front of the wheel. Oh, initial thoughts, guys. Uh, you know. Yeah, hate to see it come down to this, but is it is it uh, is it justified? I guess it's 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 when we talk about you know justification on on actions of an individual, right? Like obviously at a situation. So like Ryan Ryan was he's a paralyzed 
hockey player, right? And like even in recent, you know, he's been defying the odds in his recovery and that, right? So you can't, you know, you, you imagine when you're trying to see how somebody's feeling, and you know, sometimes you try to say, you know, I know how you feel, or I can relate, right? You can never truly relate with a person when you haven't actually experienced. It's it's hard to say, you know, in terms of being vocal, uh, and in terms of uh, you know having a point of view about something. You know, we have the freedom of speech. You know, I I've I've heard what's been happening, but I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion on what he should or should not be doing because you know I really haven't followed exactly. The entire story, nor do I know what he's gone through in his recovery. Yeah, and uh, I guess Rob, uh, finally to you, and with regards to social media, it uh, seems that uh, social media has uh, really uh, criticized uh, this poor kid in terms of uh, he's looking for attention. That and apparently there's reports that uh, there's death threats on uh, on this guy. I mean, here he was just playing hockey. And now his life is altered. And now he's uh, looking for uh, compensation, uh, which he has every right to. And uh, now he's just getting uh, just getting uh, criticized beyond belief by uh, by those same Canadians who felt uh, the uh, the heartache and the emotion of uh, that accident uh, two years ago. Uh, how, how fair is this? life and if you look at the amount of people who were involved in that bus accident and the amount of families that impacted you, you can imagine the fact that only one person is being highlighted to me that's the surprise you'd think it'd be more like i wasn't i wasn't too aware of the details of this so but just from what i i'm hearing here the fact that it's, it's one person who's kind of taking the heat that's crazy because i think it would i thought it would have been more right off the hop and you know people criticizing on social media you tell someone on social media sometimes hey have a nice day they'll they'll yell at you you, you insult <laughs> someone they'll yell you the same yeah. you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna some people just don't have a clue in that sense so I, I don't i could i could never imagine kind of criticizing somebody who's who's trying to get the put put his life together and kind of keep moving along there and and again, just the, the fact that this has been brought to light to me now, and that oh my, I have all, there's all this attention on one kid. Um, I, I don't. I, that's the surprising part of the story to me, to be honest. I thought it'd be more. So I, I don't know. People, people criticize the weather on social media. I wouldn't. Uh, those people who do that. I mean, hey, we're all in quarantine now. They they must really have uh, nothing better to do. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, that, that's really disappointing to hear that people would do that to the, the poor guy. Yeah. Guys, uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, when uh, when organizing this, uh, you know, I was really looking forward to uh, just uh, just having a kind of discussion, uh, just as we did. Uh, uh, Chris Carabs, Rob Yakabuchi, thank you so much for joining me today. Not a problem, Randy. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me, Randy. This was awesome. Yeah, for sure. We'll do it again uh, soon. We'll be back right after this. So 
So my thanks to Chris Carabs and Rob Yakabuchi for joining me for this edition of What's Up, the Sports Podcast. Uh, this is a special time in our lives. And as we currently don't have a clear indication of when this pandemic will end, we can only hope that that ending will come soon. So with that said, I truly hope you are taking the proper precautions to ensure your safety and that you and yours are coping well and that we band together as we march on during one of the most unique times in our lives. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you again. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast with 1P. I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.